Hi, I'm Hang. And I'm Helen. And welcome to the High Key Asian Podcast. A safe and open place where we can come together to discuss all things relevant to growing up and being Asian in Australia. Whether you're at home, going for a run, driving to work, or on a bus or train, heading somewhere, we hope that you can hang tight and tune into this week's episode. Okay, okay. Excited would be the understated feeling of who we have on this week's episode, y'all. Yes, we have an absolutely amazing guest this week. She wears multiple hats in the media industries, including being a writer, producer, director, theatre maker, and so much more where it has all titled under being a creative entrepreneur. So she's a LinkedIn content creator with 78,000 followers, working on a personal branding business called The Launch Off, and you may see her hashtag Dancing Diana on her socials, while also hosting a podcast <laughs> called The Snotcast. <laughs> She's worked on some great Australian Asian pieces, including being the co-director and executive producer of Fee and Me. Um, being featured in the Forbes, The Australian, VidCon, Herald Sun, TED Talks, The Project, and so much more. She's been absolutely killing it as a boss af queen. So let's all give it a round of applause to Diana. Yay! Hey. Welcome, welcome. No, thank you for having me, <laughs> Helen and Hank. Thank yeah, you thank so you much. so much, Diana, for taking your time of your busy day to come join us for this episode. <laughs> so just to start off, Diana, were you able to share a little intro of yourself and what it was actually like growing up Asian for you? Oh, yeah, I think you've done a pretty good bio of me. Um, there's <laughs> probably 10 more things that I've, I'm currently doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what was it like growing up Asian Australia? So uh, I've documented a short story called Five Ways to Disappoint Your Vietnamese Mother in Alice Pung's book called Growing Up Asian in Australia. Ah. And it documented about me uh, me growing up with a Vietnamese refugee mum and how hard that is and the intergenerational conflict that I faced with my mother. I don't know, one, not being a doctor. Um, number two, um, hiding my boyfriend in the closet when I was 18 years old and my mum finding out. Um, so, so all these things that disappointed my mum. So I, I, I am a disappointment continuing in my uh, mid-30s. Um, it doesn't end. The expectations don't end. I thought they would end when I was 18. Um, but yeah, I've had a balance of good and bad and you might have interviewed people already about what it is really like to be Asian Australian in a, in a white culture, Mm. Australia, you know, assimilating, um, you know, I didn't realize how assimilated I was until I was reflecting on my journey. Oh, I think really like, oh, like being in the theater world and being in art entertainment industry, how you're the minority you're the one of mm-hmm. um and, I, and I'll just say it like like for me it really pinpointed when my identity changed as a Asian to a white Asian which was when Pauline Hansen came around in 1996 and really changed the way I saw myself but I didn't realize that the things that I would end up doing would make me now regret that I don't speak fluent Vietnamese mm. um mm. not having that relationship with with my mum that you know all children should have with their parents like very nuanced beautiful relationships where you can talk to you about your talk to your parents about how you mm-hmm. feel about love or how you feel about your heartbreak or how you feel about your work and mm-hmm. you know that one moment in time of someone telling us 
offensively mm-hmm. that we weren't um, good enough really shaped who I am today. And, and today as a 37-year-old woman, I'm fighting to reclaim who I really am. Oh, wow. Mm. That was actually really incredible and actually relatable. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was, that was like so deep. How, 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 old are you, how old are you guys? Uh, we're actually 27 turning Oh, babe. So like 10 years yeah. younger than me. <laughs> you, probably, you probably don't know who Pauline Hanson is. <laughs> no, we, we definitely know her. She's... <laughs> She is famous out there. Um, um, No, that's that was actually an incredible story that you said there, and I think a lot of us can relate in the sense where even Mm. though we were growing up Asian, a lot of us had strict Asian mums that almost made it difficult for us to communicate with them and try to relate to them as much as we wanted to, which Mm. almost caused uh, an effect for us to want to be less Asian and more white. Would you say that you you say that you regret not? being fluent in Vietnamese as I do as well I'm definitely not fluent in Vietnamese (laughs) you know that's that's one thing that I wish I could do would you say your relationship with your mum has been better as you try to develop that relationship with your culture yeah so um I can pinpoint moments when I try to connect my mum to what I am passionate about which is the arts so I've talked about in the project where I witnessed two times my mum walking out of my performance shows during the interval and it broke mm. my heart to the point where I would never invite my mum to see my shows anymore. Right. Uh, but it wasn't until 2009 when I did Miss Saigon, amateur theatre. I played a prostitute, mm. a refugee, whatever. Mm-hmm. I played right. all those little minor roles. Right. Um, and I remember walking out to do our bows and in the audience I saw my mum crying. Uh-huh. And I realised that my mother now understood why I became an actor was that so that I could tell her story that she couldn't do. Like she'd done the journey, but it wasn't her responsibility to go up on stage and say, hey, guys, I'm a refugee. This is what I experienced. As an actor, I have the artistic license to do that. Um, mm. And, you know, Miss Saigon is problematic as well. You know, it's written by two white men. <laughs> it is, yeah. And then the white male coming in, saving our Asian yeah. Yes, but but in saying that, you know, that was the closest thing that my mum could see that was close to her. Relate to, right? Yeah, it's relatable. Yeah. So, you know, there's yeah. that balance beam of going, like if my mum had not seen me performing with Saigon, then she would not have understood. So what show would she have understood for her to be, embrace my career? So it, it was it was Miss Saigon. It was me dancing around as a prostitute, you know? So... Yeah. <laughs> Out of all things. <laughs> oh, there we Out go. of all things. Yes. It's not. Yes. <laughs> Love it. Um, so what like yeah. got you into like the drama, the theatre, and the acting? Was it something that mm. you gained interest while you were younger or just as you grew up? Or Yeah, well, I have a, um, a peculiar childhood, which I, I grew, grew up with um, domestic violence in my family. Like we, w- we would be escorted by the police in the middle of the night to women's refuge homes. Oh. Yeah, so... In Cheltenham was this nunnery that they would put women up. And so as my three sisters and my mum were put in this refuge home for three months. And I remember during that time there, um, I was eight years old and um, there was um, classical music flowing into the garden. And I've talked about this in my TED talk, uh, TEDx talk about why I love dancing so much is because that music was coming out of a ballet class in a church. And so mm-hmm. my my mum and I and the nun, we went next door and my mum saw how happy I was. And I was only eight years old and she signed me up to do ballet for 
uh, from that moment. And I think from that moment, my mother actually gave me something that saved my life. Like she gave me art that I could hold on to, that I could reflect on, that I could move my body to. Um, mm. And I really believe that, you know, that was my way of surviving. Right. Yeah. Um, it would have been so traumatic and it was, it was you holding on to your innocence at that time. Yeah. But so much change was happening. Yeah, it was changing. You know, you, you, you have that image of what a family looks like. Um, And, you know, you have two parents who are both boat people who were Mm. not given any counselling when they came to Australia. Um, They're Mm. Vietnam War veterans, really. Like they lived in war. They fought in war. They didn't fight with guns, but they were witnesses of it. So Mm. I understand, like I'm not, it's not an excuse that my dad was abusive to my mother, but I understand that that was Mm. the way they were using their frustration to express how trapped they were and unfortunately my mother was the punching bag Mm. and um, yeah I think that's very hard when you're with two refugee parents who all they knew was to react and so you saw Mm. the reaction and you know that is our culture being Vietnamese or for me is that Mm. we're a very reactive community. (laughs) We're very we're very judgmental we're very you know we um We've got yeah. this tall poppy syndrome as well. Like we always refer to someone and say, hey, look at them, uh-huh. you know. So it's it's really interesting. So the mm-hmm. arts for me was – and to have professional classes as a kid in ballet, you know, mm-hmm. transformed into singing karaoke with my mum in the living room and then you know, singing in the school choir and primary school and then performing the school musical and high school and then, you know, it, it just kind of flowed. Everything had a step to be where I am. And I've been in, in this industry for 17 years now. That's wild. So, yeah. Because you've got good stuff. Like you're making Amazing great stuff. waves like mm. for, for the um, Australian, especially Vietnamese community. Because I feel like ever since I was young, the, our culture and our community has never been well represented. Mm. And the fact that you made a TV show about it and um, web like, series, web series, yeah. it's a web series. Oh, sorry, where's what I'm describing? But I was watching it, and my brother he walked past, and he 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 sat and down with me, and we we don't really bond well. But then he we were watching it together, laughing, and we were Good. like. That's that's our that's our childhood right there, yeah. <laughs> and it was just so strange to see that, and the fact that it's gonna be or soon to be mm. on the TV. Kids who are gonna grow up right Vietnamese Australian, they're gonna watch that, and be like, hey, that's because because we're right, you know, we grew up watching Neighbors and uh, you know, Nazi Family, but yeah. never a Viet family. Well, so, yeah. it's it's quite magical that you 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 know saw some of my content on TikTok because. That only happened because we went into lockdown here in Melbourne and I was lying in bed and I was like, my industry is closed down. What do I do? So I started slicing up those skits yeah. onto TikTok and it went viral. We've had 6.8 million views on TikTok. Oh. And you know, if you read the comments, you have people going, oh, my God, I want to see more. Like yeah. I relate to that. And yeah. and th- that's my point is that what's so frustrating about the Australian industry in Australia, in Australia, I'm repeating yeah. myself because it's late, um, <laughs> is that um, there's this tokenistic view that one Asian show fulfills all Asian communities oh, in Australia. And, and my star. point, yeah, and my point is that that is not right and that's not uh-huh. true. Yeah. And mm. you cannot make one show the pedestal mm. 
for a culture and we're we're transforming we're, you know we're we're not that nucleus you know Vietnamese community anymore because you know Vietnamese Vietnamese people are marrying people from different cultures so families keep yeah. changing so mm-hmm. so for me the reason why feeding me is so, is so important is to say hey we've got a show that celebrates our community and if you have an idea you can do something but yeah. but don't wait don't wait to be mm-hmm. the first one or don't don't wait because someone's already made the first one like stories um like you know your podcast would be boring if you just interviewed one person because it yeah. represented everyone yeah. you know so the reason why females is so important for me is I'm like, God damn it, if no one else is going to do it, then I have to so that other people have the courage to do it too. Yeah. Um, and that's that's been my, my whole career. Like I do stand-up as well. I'm the only Vietnamese female comedian um, who's performing um, a full-hour show at the Comedy Festival here in Melbourne. Oh. Um, and I'm standing up because I know there's going to be one person who's going to go, actually, I'm actually funnier than her. I'm going to give it a go. I want people to say they're funnier than me. Like I want them to go, hang on, I can do better. And that's what we need to do. We need to climb and say, yeah, yeah, like I don't want to be the only one. It's fucking lonely. Mm, It's really, really lonely. Imagine you, like, you know, Helen, you were doing the podcast by yourself. It's lonely. Um, So, yeah, feeding me and doing stand-up and all the things I've done has been just to penetrate the industry and just say, okay, guys, you can't make put us into a box anymore there's we've got numbers now so Mm -hmm. you better pay up (laughs) (laughs) that's that's awesome that's actually really motivational because a lot of us asians out there or us vietnamese people out there we're kind of like we've discussed this many times but like we're kind of taught to kind of like keep our heads low yeah very quiet be like under the covers don't make any noise and all that stuff and for you to go out there and be like no i'm gonna start my own shit i'm gonna freaking do this myself like that's such a great and momental move for everyone to get the courage to do things themselves and also to put ourselves out there and not be afraid of it and also represent on who we actually are and let the media see that as well that there are more than just like Chinese people in the media you know um so yeah that's really really cool and what you're saying um the idea of being vigilant and putting your head down and do the schoolwork and you know, have the nine to five job and have a salary to buy your next house and yeah. then remortgage by next house. That's yeah. what our parents did. Whether you're a migrant or refugee, that's what they said. They said, just yeah. do the work, you'll get the pay when you have that full time yeah. job or that yeah. education, sorry. Mm-hmm. But you know, we've seen like in the last two years with the Stop Asian Hate, like we've put our heads down for too long. Yeah. So when people started being racist to us on the street or you know and you see in America which is very overt violence mm-hmm. to Asian uh, to Asian Americans yeah. yeah like that's because we've been so vigilant we haven't voiced anything we've kind of assimilated yeah. we've assimilated so well that people don't see us yeah mm-hmm. you know like people I, I hear it all the time they think that we're the model minority because we're we're so um vigilant with our work yeah. we, we don't make any noise yeah no it's not it's good like, break that that stereotype and I feel like Asian parents raising their kids right now it's I guess it's gonna it's gonna take a very long process to break that expectation Mm. um but you know people like you going out there raising your voice empowering people you know inspiring people that they can do more than just the nine to five and being a doctor and lawyer So 
you think you would say i mean your biggest drive of the work you do your biggest motivation is representing the asians out there or would you say like is that your biggest reason that you're out there or like what do you think no it's my mother (laughs) (laughs) i'm proving i'm proving to her every day that you can do what you love right yeah um and and my mum sees me do it and like i would MC festivals in springvale like big council events we have thousands of people and I'm, i'm i'm like that MC, like likes audience participation and get people dancing and moving and singing with me and you know there was these been these beautiful magic moments when I've seen my mum get out of her chair and dance Aww. you know and yeah. and so I know what I'm doing she's observing because she yeah. sees I'm having fun yeah. and then she's like hang on a minute she can't have fun by herself and she gets <laughs> up and does it and so that for me is powerful so um well. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you know, but I was awarded um, top 40 under 40. uh, (laughs) It's a very long title. Official top 40 under 40 Asian Australian Leadership Summit Award, which I call it the Australian of the Year, but Asian. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's the the Grace Tame. I I made a joke about it with the newspaper today. Like it's the Grace Tame Award, but for Asians. Um, Like when I did my acceptance speech, I just said, hey thanks mum for not supporting my career because it made me work harder uh, yeah so mm-hmm. um yeah. I know and for white people they find it very distressing when they've heard me tell them about how my mum walked out of my shows because uh, you know they're very supportive but but they are very supportive because they have time to yeah. they're not mm-hmm. the ones working overtime or working extra hours True. They're the ones that've got money to chill out and watch shows for two hours and watch theatre for two hours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's been my point. My mum has been my biggest motivator to succeed because I do want to one day stand on stage and say thanks, mum, which I have when I won the award. But I know there's going to be an arts award. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I get to do the same thing too. <laughs> yeah, it's that idea of like like your mum providing that tough love I guess it's not like the normal you know like oh I'm like Disney show like oh I'm always here for you honey like you know here and that it's just like no you better do your shit but it's also like you wanting to prove and I think a lot of us want to do that as well where we want to prove to our parents that like hey we're making the right choice and we're hoping that they can be happy for our choice as well yeah mm. rebellion is a really good um driving force <laughs> no so because <laughs> I can relate to um I didn't choose uh, to be a doctor or an engineer. I chose to do um, youth work and it was such a foreign industry, but I enjoyed like supporting young people. And so I was like you, Diana, like I proved, I tried to prove to her wrong that I'm, look, I can make a living out of this. Mm. <laughs> and, help. and I think it's just a foreign thing where like they were raised up that that was something that can um, support you financially you know and that's not considered successful and and that that comes from they have the best interest for us yeah exactly. that's their thought so it is yeah. from care yeah yeah care taking me a while as an adult to understand that they came from one country to another country and so for us it's like we're so conflicted and like which values and which culture do we take mm. you know embedded to ourselves it's hard because it's like am I considered selfish or not you know yeah. yeah. Um, so it's awesome that, you know, you pushed through mm. to do what you do today as a creative and in the arts industry mm. as well. You know, can we ask, like, what were some of the biggest challenges that you went through during your life that may have impacted your career pathway and, like, how did you overcome them? Uh, well, 
if we talk specifically in my industry, which is in the arts and the theatre and TV, back when I was starting, so I left um, university at 2005 and started acting in 2006, um, I would say that I didn't know that when I went into the industry that the roles were so limited for Asians and that we would be grouped into roles that didn't expand our skill base or empowered us. And that was really surprising. But as any young person who's like acting, I was accepting of it. I was like, oh, yes, 22nd role. Oh, yes, prostitute short film role. Mm -hmm. I just accepted it because that was what was offered. Yeah, And then I think the biggest breakthrough for me was, um, you know, writing Growing Up Asian Australia for Alice Pung's anthology, but then having the guts and balls to write Fee and Me with Fiona, who is my co-creator. So Fee and Me is a theatre show. It started as a theatre at theatre show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in 2011 okay. and it was its first of every, any form like the comedians that had gone before me was Hung Lee and Ahn Do yeah. um, but for a comedy theatre show it was very rare and my inspiration was that in 2010 the year before Fee and Me was at the comedy festival I went to see Felicity Ward who was performing in the Melbourne Town Hall and then I sat there watching her and I was laughing and I was like this is funny But I thought, actually, there's more funnier stories at home. Mm. Um, And so that's how Fee Me was written. I went home to Fiona in Springvale and I said, Fee, let's write a show together. And I've known her since I was eight years old. So we wrote it. We wrote it and performed it with our drama teacher from high school. And that was my obstacle was to write my own shit. <laughs> like I, I wasn't going to wait for someone to write me a role. Yeah. And yeah. so we wrote a one-hour show about wow. a Vietnamese Australian family and we got four stars in Herald Sun in 2011. We got four and a half stars in Herald Sun in uh, 2012. Um, we took the show to Edinburgh. We, I took the character Kim Hung, who's the mother, to Orange County, which is the largest Vietnamese community outside of Vietnam, um, mm. and performed at the Jethurt Festival, like yeah. the Dirt Festival. And I performed in an auditorium with like 2,000 people um, for four hours. And, wow. and so they had access to me because we made a choice to do our mm. own work and not wait yeah. for someone to write us. Mm. Um, and it's still, it's still problematic that there's still a lot of white writers who are in the room (laughs) writing Asian stuff or writing any cultural story. Um, But in the last five years, I can say that because the actors that I now see that are in my, I call it my, my black book. Yeah, because it now I have a collection of actors who are so talented that I can go. Yep, I want to work with you. They're working on this, and like I've got this network now. When awesome. back then there was no network, and TV is writing for Asians now because they realise that you can't be that backwards on Australian TV. It's still backwards, yeah. but it's not that backwards. Um, but however, you know, a talented Asian. Australian actor still has to fight that one role for that one TV show that's written for them with Mm. 50 other Asian Australians. Mm. So I'm just putting it out there. Could you write a show that had more than one Asian actor in it? Yeah. (laughs) And also that we're not the offensive people, that we're not the 
the druggies, the dealers. Yeah, very typical. You know? <laughs> yeah, can we just be normal? Can yeah. you just write us as normal people? Because we can be normal people. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'm saying, write your own shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's really <laughs> awesome. Like you just created your own opportunity there because there weren't any opportunities there for you. All the opportunities that were there were just minor roles that didn't really show the significance of who you actually are. So it's pretty awesome that you just went down track with uh, your friend um, and created it yourself and it's mm. become big as it is today. Yeah. Um, you know, even me and Helen have expressed this frustration where we're like, damn, like why, why are all like the Asians shown on TV are nerds or like, you know, why are they always the dorky ones? Like Asians can be hot. Asians can be freaking awesome main characters. Why aren't there more of this? So it's great to see what you're doing is also um, encouraging everyone out there as well. Um, and we hope that continues to drive forward. Mm. And I've got a show that opens in three weeks. time. I don't know when this podcast will, you'll release it. But um, um, Lorinda, which is um, yes. Alice Pung's book, Petra, Caleb and I have adapted it and made it into a, a play um, mm. and it's based around a Vietnamese family. And I can tell you the, the actors that we have on stage, so seven actors are performing 20 roles between them yeah. and wow. they're not playing roles of their colour, they're playing roles of all colours, which is so exciting awesome. because for me I, f- I feel like, oh, my God, this is an opportunity for Asian actors to play more than that what they've been given. Yeah. Um, and it's been so, so wonderful. Um, but yeah, please go check out Lorinda when it opens. I don't know, yeah, when when is when does this podcast come out? We'll make it we'll make it our priority to release it before then. That's what you We'll note that down. Okay, cool. That's but, well it, I think tickets are released in August, is that right? Oh no, no, no it's, they've been released since uh, February. Um some shows oh, are, some shows are already sold out. Um, oh, okay. but you, you guys, you guys can watch it because you're under 28, so you do get a discount. So just oh, so you know, okay, okay. A tw- okay. 20 under 28 discount. That's awesome. Okay, cool yeah. plug there. We'll definitely. Yeah, we were talking. You should definitely watch it because it's so different that there's now a play. Yeah. Well, well, it's about a Vietnamese 15 year old girl who goes to a private school girl school through a scholarship. She's the first ever Asian to get a scholarship at the school and it's about her traveling in the system mm. um a very white school system and mm. um so that's her 15 but the play also shifts into her being 35 watching herself being 15 oh. and and then realizing oh actually that person who was really nice to me was bullying me mm. that person that I laughed with and I thought they were my friend were actually being racist to me or mm. moments when you're laughing with someone because you didn't want to hurt their feelings was they were racist to you. Yeah. Like so it's like it's a it's a memory piece of how our memory collects yeah. experiences and how as you get older you realize mm. that the world that you thought you had wasn't. That's so, true. Yeah, so um, I definitely recommend all Asian Australians to come see it and maybe be quite triggered by it, actually. <laughs> but, um, but, but essentially the show is about courage. And yeah. what, what, do, what do you do? That's like an actual really interesting dive into what we used to see when we were younger versus what we actually see as we grow older. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a full reflection. You know, back in the day we watched Mulan and she's saying, mm-hmm. look at me. And, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and that was her in that moment. But you think about Mulan watching herself again. She's like, dude, 
why did I go to the war for? Like, was it worth it? Exactly. (laughs) You're young and reckless. Yeah, you were young, you had hormones, you were thinking straight. (laughs) You don't really have the tools and life experiences to, like, understand these things. But as an adult, you look back, you're like, that was pretty fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or or really magical, like, depending on which memory it is. But, but when yeah. we talk about race and privilege, especially, you know, growing up Asian Australia, it's either really hard or you've assimilated really well. Yeah. So those are, those yeah. are two options. That's true. That's completely true. Just going back to the Fee and Me TV web series that you created with your friend um it's really awesome about how relatable it is and um you know we've watched all the episodes as well there's that moment at the end where uh the daughter and the mum go through that conflict of um you know she she's disappointed that her mum never told spoiler alert but she's disappointed that her mum never told her about her dad being alive and then her mum is disappointed that she's been doing drama behind her back and all um but in the end her mum kind of like you know realizes how important it is to her daughter so in saying that you know with the relationship of you and your mum that you've described mm. before would you say that your mum is like completely proud of you now or is that still an ongoing process well yeah to in 2009 doing Saigon was the first step of healing and then um Fee and me and we were talking about you know wanting to be successful yeah. I think when my mum sat in the audience in a f- sold out show watching Fee and me with like 80% Vietnamese people who had paid tickets who are laughing yeah. about and it's a, it's a fictional character but it's it's based on Fiona and I's mum so um mm. Kim is Fiona's mum and my mum's name Hung so we put uh, the both names of Kim Hung yeah. together because we didn't want to base it on one mum our, right. our mums are universal they they've got yeah. different facets to them they're just weird and do crazy yeah. shit but they love us to death yeah. Um and, and and we wanted that to be universal because that's in every culture. Everyone's yeah. got that mum, you know? So yeah, when I, I remember standing behind uh, in the audience, because there's one moment where I'm behind the audience watching the play and um in the dark I watched my mum laughing with the fee in me flyer in her hand covering her mouth. Oh. Like she didn't want people to see her laughing, but she was laughing. Um <laughs> and so there's been, there's been these healing points. And so Miss Saigon happened in 2010. I did a pilgrimage trip up the south to the north of Vietnam with backpacking. Okay. And um, I got somehow, a miracle, I got home to Mi Ta on the Mekong Delta where my mum is. Yeah. And so I had to chaperone my mum back to Australia in 2010. Yeah. And I remember those two weeks in Mi Ta, like my mum and I would go on the motorbike and get gung dum. And, you know, we'd be sitting on a hammock in the middle of the night and my mum would, you know, tell me about um, her journey of leaving my grandmother's house to get onto the boat. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there going, like, oh, Mum, I was like, Mum, why didn't you tell me this earlier when mm-hmm. I was 13 years old and shitty to you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would have been more grateful. Maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe I was like, oh, whatever. Right. But I just mm-hmm. wish that articulation of her story could make mm-hmm. me relate to her, right. could make me understand this woman because I felt like she was always wrong. 
right. on, in reflection, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just remember those key moments, like connecting me with my mum. And then, like, I took my mum to Europe. I, I've, I've done some lots of bonding exercises with my mum. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but my mum is an actor in Fig and Me, the web series. Like, she's oh. the woman. Yeah, my mum is all in now. Because <laughs> now, because I'm now making money. Right? Ah, okay, gotcha. Oh. <laughs> she sees it now. She sees the yeah. more. That's it. <laughs> yeah, so um, my mom wants to participate. And, and um, I did an SBS Vietnamese radio interview in the head office and they said, can you bring your mom? We want to interview her too. My mom was so excited. Um, and in this moment, I've never had heard my mom say this to me face-to-face, but she's very good at telling everyone. <laughs> Yeah, about yeah. things I need to hear but she yeah. said I'm so glad that Diana kept persisting in this career because there's no one else doing it and whatever happens I'll always have a house for her oh. it seems like she's really happy with where you are now especially since you're earning you know the dollar bills <laughs> and also now that I have a boyfriend who wants a baby with me so she's oh. thrilled <laughs> Brand it's for her uh, <laughs> yeah. like they ban you from like dating anyone and then you're like forced into a world where you're like I got no social skills to interact with a guy and now you want me to have a baby <laughs> how yeah so confusing so confusing I absolutely loved how you included that in the in the feed me where there was that scene of me where she's grown up and her mum is asking the doctor what is wrong with her why is she still single is she a lesbian yeah, and her, and he's like you've wanted me to be single this is what you get <laughs> yeah we're such a contradicting culture it's actually so confusing oh my gosh um with any role in life it does take a lot of confidence but particularly as yourself you know in the arts industry and what you do as a creative entrepreneur you seem like you're also very confident as well How, how do you even build that confidence like it's so cool to see that you know you're proud of even like your snort laugh to the point where you're having a podcast called the snort cast or dancing on your socials like you don't care in the world like have you ever been at times been faced with criticism like how do you even face that um just like how, how do you deal with that and how do you even build that confidence it's a it's a good question to ask because um i've been trying to pinpoint when I shifted as well. I think a major shift happened to me when I first started posting on LinkedIn. But my post today was people have called me sometimes I have too much energy or I'm too much. Mm. Um, And that's fine. Uh, It took me a really long time to realize what that really meant to them, which was that they wanted that energy for them too, but they Uh, didn't know how to get it. Um, Gotcha. And so, so I understand like that's not my fault. But I don't. I don't need to drink coffee to have energy. You do. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I don't need to drink V to get the experience that you want from me. You need it, but I just yeah. use my body. But yeah, it was really LinkedIn. So a good friend of me, String Nguyen, um, also Susie Nguyen, she was like this beta tester. Um, and she was like one of the first people who supported Fee and Me. She was my marketeer, marketing person for Fee and Me crowdfunding. So she's always testing betas for apps and stuff. And then I think it was August 2017, she said, hey, you should get on LinkedIn. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to go on a CV platform and post. I should be on YouTube. That's where I need to be. I need to be a star, not on, not on LinkedIn. It's a CV <laughs> platform. What are you talking about? And just like, no, nah, no, nah, trust me, LinkedIn's changing because LinkedIn got bought by Microsoft because Microsoft wanted a platform uh, where they didn't have to start fresh. 
So LinkedIn already had like 500 million profiles already, but they decided to make LinkedIn to a video platform and very quite social media and the algorithm is really good. Um, mm. And so I started posting on LinkedIn and I started dancing on LinkedIn. That was a mistake. Like that was just one day I flooded my mum's kitchen dining room area with um with laundry water because I've got to put it I've got to put the hose into the into the sink but it was on the side and it flooded and then I yeah and then I thought oh maybe I'll film it and just do a dance and upload it to Instagram but I thought you know what let's upload it to um LinkedIn and I did and it went viral and then when they say it works you double down so I doubled down and I danced and danced and danced and kept dancing. But wow. then the dancing kind of morphed into like, hang on, there's more to dancing. And my community got to know me more and I got to learn about them because business is about making money and it's about mindset and how you yeah. can switch your brain. And, and that led me to the journey that I needed um, when COVID happened in 2020. It was really LinkedIn that kind of like started that. Yeah, that's why I call myself the creative entrepreneur because I'm making work all the time. I'm selling tickets. I've got an economy around me, but you just see me as a creative. I'm a freaking businesswoman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and so now I'm making money. I don't call myself poor and I have a coach. Her name's mm. Pauline. Nguyen um she's my my spiritual coach and that's from the 2020 and realizing I needed to do a lot of self-love and care Mm -hmm. for me but she was like if you're gonna keep saying that you're a poor artist you're gonna be a poor artist right on the mindset yeah so what are you doing and I was like no but everyone says that everyone in my industry says that so and she's like well you're gonna do that then you're going to be poor for the rest of your life. And I was like, maybe. And then it took COVID for me to go, fuck that shit. Because I lost $11,000 because of the comedy festival cancelled. Like, it's gone. Yeah. thank god for job keeper but it re- that really switched me because i lost eleven thousand dollars i was in debt on my mm. credit cards i was just living this very unhealthy lifestyle of putting money mm. into a show making money from ticket sales and then doing the same thing and not really having an income and i just went i need to change that i need to make money i need i need cash flow i need to get rid of my debt and job keeper helped me with that and helped me pay my rent when there was no work for me that was probably the key um, was getting onto LinkedIn, which is weird because no one dances on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, because people usually like use LinkedIn to kind of like flex their corporate skills, their corporate life, so and so and so. So you did something different out there, which clearly did really well and went viral. So that's freaking crazy. Yeah, and, and then it led to do my TED talk. I did a US tour in 2019 before COVID and went to Silicon Valley and uh, had meetings with LinkedIn. So, wow. uh, yeah, it's been really life-changing for me to be on a platform, which is what I really needed. Like, look, TikTok's great and people's grown on TikTok. And like, I, I know a friend, um, Shu, who is now making movies and TV shows because her TikTok grew up to 4 million followers. Like, that's amazing. But for me, I'm like, oh, I'm too lazy for TikTok. I'm just really, I just want to talk to people my age. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I want to make more money. I want to be a digital nomad. I want to travel the world and make money. Um, that's my thing. Absolutely love that. It's the idea of like what you think you become. So you totally manifested that for yourself as well. Yeah, I did. I even the man. I manifested the man as well. (laughs) Bless. People have said, yeah, he's pretty good. I was like, yeah, I waited four years for him. I was single for four years, so it was worth it. (laughs) 
<laughs> Love hearing that. <laughs> hard to get to where you are now and like you mentioned you were in the industry for like 17 years like what tips and advices would you give to someone who wants to enter that arts industry but like so unsure and especially if they're Asian Australian Mm. like if you were to look at yourself younger what would you say Uh, well you know the only reason why I keep mentioning how many years I've been in industry is to show people that it's not overnight. Yeah. Mm. Um, you really, if you really love it, you've got to be in it and you've got to understand that when you first start out, there is no money really. Mm. Um, you got to do it because you love it, the passion of it. Uh, and that's why theatre is my biggest love because there's no money in it. That's when you know you love it because there's no yeah. money. Um, yeah. But what it gives you is that a live audience that are with you. If I had to give a tip, I'll give, I'll give two tips, which is, and this is from my coach, and I, it really changed my life. Let go of shame from your body because that will eat you up for a very long time. And um, that was what my show Chasing Keanu Reeves was about. It was about letting go of shame that I had placed on myself and being free. So for the last two years, I have been free from chaos, free from expectations, free from people, free from not caring what people think of me and doing my thing. Yeah. So so that's another story. (laughs) Um, um, But my second one, and this is what I tell artists or anyone who has a story to tell, is Mm. don't wait for someone to write it for you. Write Mm. it yourself. Yeah. When you catch up with a friend, tell them a story. When you go and you know see your parents, go say hi, how are you? What did you do today? Because that's a simple act of storytelling. Because they're telling you what they did, and it spurs more conversations and relationship building. And for me, that's why I love the art so much, is because it allowed me to share my story in a particular way. Like I've written a short story for Alice Pung. I'm now writing a, a co-writing a play with Petra called Lorinda at MTC. I'm co-writing feed me with one of my best friends from primary school but I'm also Mm. now writing an episode with Chena Wynn who plays my daughter in the show and so Mm. don't rely on people to tell your story that's what I'm saying like we can't do that anymore we can't give people that power yeah those were some really really good tips there and good advice (laughs) there like it hit so hard um especially the part where you said letting go of the shame um Mm. I find that when you let go of some of those negative emotions you tend to be a lot more as you mentioned like freer and build a lot more positive thoughts in your mindset to grow and it like those negative emotions or negative thoughts kind of hold you back so that's definitely a good point there and Mm. yeah like writing your own story and making sure that not other people are sharing your story because it's your life and it's something that only you can express and sharing that with the people around us and building that network that's actually like that's actually really Mm. good and um what you've done there Mm. for yourself in this area of industry Mm. it's like really great and we're so happy and we're so grateful for that as well thank you and it's it's really clear that you're so passionate in everything that you do and when people see that genuine um i guess like that factor like they relate to it so well because it's like it's not fake at all like it's coming from true experiences and you're doing it with people that you you you're like with your best friend or with Fiona and all that like it's like it's prevalent and so people that's why people are buying tickets like they want to watch it and word of mouth and yeah well, yeah. we, we need to sell more tickets, so just let you know. Throw it out there, guys. 
Yeah. Um, all right. So we do want to let you go. But before we do, we do want to end it with like a question that we normally ask all our guests. But the reason why we decided to name our podcast Haiki Asian is because a lot of us and a lot of our friends and a lot of people that we know were very low key, as we've mentioned, very like quiet and very like under the covers and just not what we want to be we want to be hiking and the opposite of that you know speaking up and so can you share with us and our listeners what was your proudest moment of being Asian or in other words like what was your hiking Asian moment oh proudest moment being Asian it's very specific isn't it yeah I'll give you I'll give you I'll give two I'll give Mm. one as a human being okay and the other one being Asian Um, as a human being, uh, I've been really lucky to have friends who have children and I've become their godmom. And my niece, who's two years old, my sister had a baby during lockdown two years ago, has been the greatest gift of my life because I see joy in her. Um, something that my sister and my family is very protective. And we talked about intergenerational trauma is not to pass that on to her and to make sure that she is free yeah and what I love about her is that she's two years old and knows how to say no and and we we can't correct her because because our culture has told us to say yes yeah yes yes as respect right but my niece who is two years old I love that like saying no no and we can't we I'm like in going fuck yes but yes, <laughs> yes, because that's Make her. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, that's her being yeah. her, her self. And, you know, we talk about Asian Australians, but just being a woman is already yeah. hard as well. But where, where as Asian women in, are in a lower category behind white, white yeah. women. Yeah, so I embrace that, that. I have to say that's been the greatest joy, a high key for me to see my niece grow up to be who she wants to be. That's freaking um, that, awesome. Yeah, I know it's very, I know I'm very clucky, but it's, <laughs> to see your own blood yeah. be, be fucking awesome yeah. is awesome. <laughs> It actually really is. I love that. I feel like um, we're also trying to reteach ourselves that saying no is okay. Yes. Because, yeah, we've been taught to just say yes to everything and it kind of burns us out sometimes, yeah. you know. Yeah. You're going to be the cool up. Be like, yeah, girl. Yeah. I'll, I'll have the condoms in the bathroom, you know. I'll the supply. Yeah, the supply. Like, I think that was that's been the problem of, of you know. And I understand with our parents, they didn't know how to raise children in this Western world, yeah. right? And so having no sex, like having no sex before university, was the thing to protect us from being mums, right? Right. And so communication of that was always very blunt. Yeah. It wasn't like. Because you know, because yeah. it was like if you don't do that, you're getting out of my house. Yeah, like yeah. there was no that, and that's from our culture. I think from Vietnam, like our parents didn't really talk like that, really. Yeah, and so trust and communication. So. I feel like with my niece and for future generations, we just have to trust that they make the right decisions and we just have to trust that, you know, whatever decision they do and they fail, that's okay. I think because of us being Asian Australian, we're really, we're so resilient that we can do anything. We have a superpower and I really believe that, but we just need to tap into it and use it. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) 
get yeah. into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll do a quick one for my Asian moment. And it has to be um, when Fee and Me was released. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we had 250 people at the cinema in Ligon Street. And some of them were like our funders who gave us $28,000. Some were family and friends who'd seen the show in 2011. And I just sat in the front row and watching it on the full cinema screen and hearing the laughter hit me, like the wave. And I was like, fuck, my face is really big on there. <laughs> like, but that's when I knew that yeah. I can die now. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. You left like legacy. I, legacy. Yeah, I, I have done my work and yeah. it's forever on YouTube. And someday some kid finds it and says, oh, wow, there's this show. And if that makes them go, oh my god I want to do something like that then that's it that's awesome yeah yeah it's so crazy of how much you've done in the past 17 years of your work oh my god it's too long too long (laughs) (laughs) and it's definitely like a getting to places and Mm. there's so much more for you out there and we definitely know that you're going to continue to do well and continue to see it and it's like we'll see your on the big screens and be like yes that's diana you win like yes she's freaking there like she's awesome she's killing it um, yeah you've, you've got me on you've got me on an episode now so so thank you again diana for sharing a bit of your life on our podcast as an asian australian did you want to let our listeners know where they can find you on the social media side of things or what projects that you're currently undertaking as you mentioned you have lorinda yeah so during lockdown i decided to to change all my handles to one handle so you can find me at real done and win on every platform one handle um but but uh yes lorinda is coming out in august 6 where the show will be released on melbourne main stage theater um fee and me is at www.feeandme.tv or you can find me dancing on linkedin so you can pick any of those and you'll awesome. see me there yes awesome. that's incredible thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much for just yeah. taking time out of your busy schedule and your busy day because you know you have a lot going on and we're just so incredibly appreciative of this moment with you well i'm supporter of all asian australian work and and you know we can't have one asian podcast can we yeah so so you're doing something different and you're standing out and saying hey we want to make something of our own so that's to you that's make sure you own that too for yourself thank you thank you so much Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. Again, let's thank the incredible Diana for being a part of this week's episode and sharing her stories on being an Australian Asian boss F creative queen in the arts industry. We hope that you guys do have some time to check out Diana's work because she's done such big things with Asian Australian representation in the community. We all start them somewhere and we've sometimes got to step outside the box of society expectations to chase our dreams. So keep chasing your dreams just like how Diana keeps hashtag chasing Keanu Reeves. If you guys were able to relate to anything we've said or have a story yourself that you want to share, feel free to let us know via our Instagram at hi.keyasian and our other socials as well as Diana's socials will be linked in the description box of this episode. Also feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify if you want to stay in touch with our upcoming episodes. We hope to catch you guys next time. Thanks again and bye. Thank you so much you guys. See you soon.